Hello and welcome to What's Going On, Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean, the podcast that brings biweekly conversations with people who know and work extensively and at the ground level in Africa and the Caribbean to the people of the African diaspora. Join us as we follow social and economic development issues in and around Africa and the Caribbean, including issues about youth, health, education, business, emerging entrepreneurs, gender equality, you name it. If it relates to Africa, the Caribbean, and the people of the African diaspora, we'll talk about it. What's going on? Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean wants you to stay connected to the people and places that you love. So join us. We're your hosts, Maranke Ocean Martin and Grace Ocean. I'm your host, Maronke Ocean Martin. Welcome to What's Going On, Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean. We have two wonderful guests today. Grace Oriende is the founder and CEO of Okute Center for Learning and Online Education, a school for children between the ages of seven and 16 years of age. Sandra Sinclair is a lecturer in English at South Thames College. Going back to uh, Grace, she is the uh, finance director at a top PR firm in London, England. She's an accounting consultant. She has worked in the financial and investment industry for over 30 years. She's a <laughs> wife and mother of three children, and she lives in London, England. And her um, Grace's tenant in life is it takes a village to raise a child. And that's a concept that we can all relate to, especially in this particular time in our history. Sandra is a graduate in youth, community, social work and education studies. She's the secretary of Yakute Center for Learning, as well as one of its teachers. She said that the center and lecturing has helped her to run her family business that specializes in early childhood education and childhood special needs. Her motto in life is, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. She's married. She has two children and two ginger cats. She's also a Londoner. It's a pleasure to have both of them here with us today to talk about this new center that brings children from the Black community together to elevate their skills and uh, their understanding of who they are as children of color. Welcome, Grace and Sandra. Thank you. It's a Thank pleasure you to be so here. Much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here, and we can't wait to learn more about this uh, wonderful organization that has attracted a lot of attention from some pretty high-profile people in Britain. What inspired the creation of this organization? And tell us a little bit about the significance um, of the name. So, Grace, do you want to start us off? Indeed. So, it all kicked off on the back of the awful murder of George Floyd on your continent in your backyard basically we're ashamed we're ashamed we take it was it was awful I mean it sent ricochets all over the world I mean I went out with these young people marching with my banner and placards you know and you know this happened all over the world so George Floyd was the catalyst for this project and then of course we were in COVID 
And we saw the difference between the outcomes already being impacted between young black children and that of other um, groups, ethnic groups and the community at large. And the fact that, you know, so much was going on and our children were falling further and further behind. And the fact that, you know, although we had this opportunity, the world stood with us, white and black side by side, you know, protesting against this terrible event. And the fact that, you know, the world was beginning to recognise that there was an inequality and injustice. My concern was what would happen several months down the line? Would we still have the same impetus, the same momentum regarding black lives? Or would black lives now fizzle out? And would there be another incident which would bring about another Grenfell review, um, McPherson review, Stephen Lawrence review. In other words, yet another incident that would, was going to happen to address the difference again between black people and other groups. So, Akuta, I felt I gathered some of my friends and said, what are we going to do about this? We have to, we have to help in bringing about change. And change really, truly happen if we as a black community start to actually be doing something about it. And basically, this Akuta Centre for Learning was born. Maybe, Sandra, you want to talk a little bit about the name? Yes, that's great. Um, I think what had happened is that we were at Grace's house and we all sat around her kitchen table and we were deciding on names. But we wanted something that sounded a bit authentic and, you know, sounded like it was kind of current. But anyway, um, we was it throwing out names and somebody came up with the name Akuta and um, we liked it. And um, we thought it was an African sounding name. But what we found is that it's, it's got um, old, so it's got its name in old French roots. And um, it's got an African twang to it. That's that's why we like it. But the word akute, it means to provide with equipment and dress, especially in a military setting. And that is exactly what we wanted to do. And I think that our motto at Akuta is um, dress them with a spirit, spirit of excellence. So akute, you know, excellence, that is a connection. So we are basically a non-for-profit organisation and we support young black African and Afro-Caribbean children. Um, between the ages of 7 and 16 to support them in the education system, through the education system, encouraging, you know, supporting them emotionally and seeing their outcomes beginning to improve. And that's basically what we do. So we meet with our children on a Saturday for two hours, um, starting with Black History, which is compulsory and underpinning, And that's helping to give them a sense of identity as black British children. And I say black British children, not just, you know, we don't identify them as children from African heritage or children from Afro, uh, from Caribbean heritage. They are black. One identity as black children who have a right to do extremely well through the British system. So that's who we are, really. So the center started in May. What's your mission statement and and what have you been able to accomplish so far? 
So, you know, our main aim is really to encourage, teach and support our young students to really um, do well, to do well, to really impact and change their outcomes, you know, so that, you know, they have a sense of duty to their families. They, they've got a feeling of wanting to do better for themselves and to give back to society at large. That's what it's really about. So, so Sa- Sa- Sandra, if I can pick up with you on that. So you're yes. seeing as a lecturer, you're yes. seeing these young people coming into the system after a few years of, I guess, secondary education. Yes, that's um, right. Yes. In terms of quality, in terms mm. of their preparedness, and I'm making the assumption here that you mm. see um, at your at South Thames College a lot yes. of black uh, students yes. as well. Of course, of course. So, yes, of so course. What, what would you say that the education system has been, has effectively prepared them? Or are you yeah. seeing what I see on my end, and which is a, yeah. a, it's an issue uh-huh. here in the yes. US, which is that yeah. a, lot of, a lot of black kids struggle yeah. uh, yes. because they don't have the foundation and when they do make it to college um, or university, they struggle even more, and many yes. of them drop out. Is, yeah, that's true. What are you saying that would? Because I'm assuming that that's one of the reasons why uh, you decided to also start this program. Yes, yeah, I think you're spot on, Ronke. I think um, what I see is that you see children coming into the education system. I think when they're in primary school, they're at a high level, then they kind of go to secondary school. And I think by the time they leave, but Grace can um, correct me in terms of the, the statistics, is I think that there's something like, was it three years behind? I see a lot of students, I think particularly black boys, for some unknown reason, that, you know, they kind of come in fully unprepared. So, you know, even the basics, so teaching English and, you know, you look at some of the grammatical basics that they should know, they just don't know. In terms of, was it, you know, was it reading widely? They just haven't read widely. So Mm -hmm. I can see that there's a a tremendous disparity between, was it when they started primary school at a high level to, was it by the time they finish um, senior school? And and it's really shocking. It really is. So therefore, what type of jobs can they do? Um, You know, they can, you know, they're obviously going to go into low-end jobs We've got a situation with gangs that we never used to have. So, you know, we've got, you know, a lot of them, was it like joining gangs because the education system has failed them? A lot of them, was it maybe mum's working? Dad is, you know, nowhere to be seen. And it's quite a shame, actually. So, yeah. Well, can I, can I interject there as well? Mother of two boys, what yeah. I found, particularly in the primary school system, is, as you said, they, they our children enter the system all energised, ready to learn. Yeah. But there's something happens along the lines. Yeah, there's definitely. something in that journey. And when I when I think about I have a daughter as well, but when I look at my boys, yeah. and our boys tend to be quite energetic, you know, when we discipline our children, you know, there, there's a look and a tone that yeah. we, we use <laughs> with our children. You know, it's not um Tunde, do sit in the corner. I mean, it's like, Tunde, you know, come sit down here. You know, there's a tone. And they enter the system and it's like the teacher's unable to sort of understand the cultural differences. But there's something else that happens, which I call unconscious bias. Many people will say, will argue that this is a 
terminology that doesn't really exist. But there is something that happens that already takes these children, these boys, and puts them into this category of troublemakers. Yes. Gives them a label that already puts them on the, you know, back burner somehow. And I recognise that as a parent with two boys walking the journey. And I know what I had to do psychologically, emotionally, to support my children to navigate their way through the system. And they have done very, very well. On the, but I can assure you, my children have done well, not because of school, but in spite of the school system. So that's the first thing that I recognise, that there's this unfairness between how your, say, your white British counterparts are treated compared to the black children. Mm -hmm. So that's the first element. The second thing is, as they go up the school system, as our children rise up through the education system and they're looking at their uh, future prospects, they don't see future prospects. They're not taught that they can be future lawyers, doctors and have all these, you know, wonderful professions. They're not encouraged mm-hmm. down that route. Yeah. And, and, and also their grades don't reflect that yeah. opportunity. And so they, they don't see the point. What's the point in them working so hard? Because ultimately there is nothing for them at the other end. Right. And as you said, too, you also mentioned that they're always at, at three years behind. And when you're three years behind and that continues right through that's disheartening you wonder what's the point i will never catch up i will never be so the idea of being a lawyer or a doctor is really out of the question would you agree well it's it's very challenging in african culture we have this belief that and probably the caribbean as well that in order to get anywhere in life you have to work 10 times as hard than your white counterparts in order just to make it. You know, if if, if I want to be a teacher, mm-hmm. in order to, to get there, I have to put in, you know, extra effort, 110%, you know, really give it my all. And in many respects, that's true. And, you know, we know that our children, sometimes what they produce, is not enough for them to cross that line. They have to put in extra effort. And that's exhausting. It is very, very exhausting. And it's very demoralising. It's very demoralising. And as children who grow up in the system, you then start to see yourself or believe that you're treated as a second class. You're not treated as somebody who is equally valued within society, within the community. And for me, it's absolutely wrong. And... This school, this school, Akuta, is here to start to begin to address those issues. You know, why are we treated like this? What's the psychological reason? What's the impact of all of this? And how can we bring about change? And, you know, for me, when I look at society, I know that British, that black British people have contributed an awful lot to making Britain what it is today. And, and, and often our story is ignored. It's not told. Sandra, do you have any 
I do. Yes, I was actually going to say, so I think the fact that our story is ignored, so what we do at Akuta is that we have um, three elements. We've got black history, that is compulsory, and we also teach the core subjects that we call in, in um, England, which is maths and English. So we insist on that. But, but I also like the fact that what we have done is that we've actually reversed things in such a way. So one of the qualities, or was it, you know, one, one of the requirements, I guess, for teaching on a cooter is that you've got to care as a teacher because uh, was it when Grace and I talking about you know how can we get more teachers you know I was I would say to her oh you know I could easily fill up with so many teachers but there's teachers and teachers there are teachers that are in teaching for money teachers that do not like young people definitely but there are always those teachers that they genuinely feel passionate and they care for young people and I think you know currently and and it it will be legacy that the type of teachers that Akuta attracts are those teachers that that fully care because I think that when you care for students you're teaching them but you're also concerned about their well-being as well about their psychological development about their spiritual development you're not just going to home in on um, was it the academic side or you can do this you can't do that but you know it's, it's, it's like constantly encouraging young people to to be their best I think that the teaching the teacher or instructor role is actually critical. I mean, um, you have that social work background, too. And one of the complaints, I guess, at least here it is, is the teachers also have to be like social workers. And some can play that role and Mm. others resist it because they don't see it as part of their mission. So your program then attracts those who see the connection between a child's well-being and social well-being as well as their education yeah i think that's true i think one of the things that we feel very passionate about akuta is that we deliberately target teachers um that are compassionate and i think was it when you're compassionate you're not just going to look at the academic side but you're also going to look at the child as a whole yeah. for example if i'm teaching about persuasive writing and you know was that like yesterday i had a session online with the students and i said to them okay can you give me some language features and they were you know somebody goes well they also i don't know any i don't know. and i said yes you do and um so you know somebody pulled out a word and i said fantastic so what about you and they couldn't and i said look you know, we remember when we did, you know, X, and they went, oh, yes, of course. And then the words that came, was it tumbling in from, from all of them? So, again, it's not just teaching, but it's teaching them as a whole. And it's just saying to them every step of the way, you know what, you can do this. You can do this activity. You can do this particular assignment that I've set for you. And then, you know, you explain it and then get them to ask kind of questions on it. But I think, you know, all along, it's us constantly saying to young people, you can do it. And we have seen the difference. We have seen the difference. So, Absolutely. So. And, you know, it's their self-esteem, the, the, yeah. the ability to raise their aspirations. These are yeah. really key things that we want to work on. And we yeah. know that when children look at teachers, they can tell if they're genuine. They can yes. tell if they really care and whether it's just a means to an end or whether there's a true passion. And often, yeah. even if a child doesn't really believe it for themselves, if they see that they have a, a teacher who believes it yeah. and wants it for them, they come into alignment with that. So how many kids do you have in the program right now? And how many teachers and you, you make a conscious effort to attract the right teachers. How do you recruit them? Well, we started with eight children in the beginning. We, we actually launched in August with eight children. Okay. And we've right. now got over 60 children. They're aged between seven and 16. So children within the key education system. And yeah, how do we recruit? Well, I mean, really, it's not just about a teacher who's qualified. We want 
teachers who are passionate, committed mm. and have our vision. Yep. So we talk to a lot of people. Mm. Indeed, we have turned down some teachers. Mm. That's wonderful. <laughs> it's not enough to just say you've got 30 years of experience, but, you know, what What, what are you going to, mm. what is it you really want to to bring to that child? How do you want to impact that child? So, yeah, for me, it all comes back to this village to raise a child. You know, you're not just an educator. You want to give them that that spirit of can do, you know, yeah. the ability to to feel more confident and yeah. to help them navigate their way through the school system yeah. alongside. Sandra, do you want to add anything else to that? Yes. Yeah, I was going to add two things. I was going to say that in terms of, was it recruiting? I mean, obviously being a lecturer, I know lots of different teachers and um, I just spend a lot of time talking to people and saying, oh, you know, we've got this program on. Are you interested? But the thing is, again, they're people that I would have, you know, was it maybe had coffee with them or had lunch with them, and I know them. And I've got even some good friends that I'd be like, no, you're not suited for the project. You know, great, but it's almost like there's maybe sometimes um, a harshness. So that's that's how we, um, was it, recruit them. So I think that, you know, we, we, we look very much on the teacher as a whole. So as what Grace said, it's not just the academic, but it's, you know, it's empastorally. Is there a, a sense of care? that they have for young people. So, you know, Grace, you know, I would watch teachers very, very kind of um, closely. And I'll just give you an example. I remember some time back I was teaching um, a class and I had to see, um, was it one of my students? So I was talking to her and she was talking about a project that she was doing and, you know, I was, you know, giving her advice. And she said, I remember she turned to me and it was quite strange. And she said to me, oh, but you're not really a teacher, are you? And I said, sorry. I'm, I'm qualified. I went to uni. I studied. She goes, no. She goes, what it is is that you've been sent to us to encourage us to help us to get to the next step, and that just spoke volumes to me. That was mm-hmm. incredible. That was incredible. Wow, nice, nice. And, yeah. and the thing is, you got to remember that many children have a lot of issues behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah, yeah. issues definitely. at home, yeah. issues in in their personal life, and uh-uh. when they come to school, you don't want. You know, they may not come in the format, in the way that a teacher would expect. Yeah. They may come in angry. They may yeah. come in lacking, yeah. not having all the right resources. Yeah. They may come in late. There's yeah. a lot of things. So sometimes our teachers just attack the child yeah. Yeah. without really thinking deeply into that scenario. They don't yeah. know what's going on behind and sometimes we need this is why i say it's really important to come from a place of compassion yeah so that you know you you have a sense of fun a sense of humor and a calmness in your delivery all these little things make a big difference and certainly even as teachers as uh, educators you may have issues within your own personal and you don't want to be bringing that to the child either absolutely so so to to follow up on that then a a lot of kids as you say come in with a lot of a lot of issues a lot of baggage do you have resources that you're that you offer to help smooth out or resolve some of those issues or is that something that you're still that you're still building on this is something that's really important to us that we are not just um, addressing the academic needs but we also tap into their emotional well-being uh, side of things as well and it's something that we are still working on um, so we are looking to you know work with our children to bring in positive role models to bring in uh, people who can speak positivity and life into these children 
And, you know, we're not going to be able to address all the, you know, individual issues and mm-hmm. things that are going on. But what I want to happen is for them to come into a kuta, be able to leave behind all the baggage, all the things that are causing them uh, anxiety and come into this um, centre and take from it the sense that you can change your outcome. You can, you're going to be able to navigate your way through your mini crisis, your crisis, it may be a major one, but you know, and we will help you. We are here to help you. That No, we can't uh, wave a magic wand, but (laughs) We, we we can do little things that's going to make your journey as a young person less traumatic, yeah. less uh-huh. anxious, yeah. anxious yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and, and that's what it's all about, really. You know, we can't change it, but we can help to make your life more manageable. So, so I started talking at the, the, the beginning about this, this conference or this summit this Black History Month um, event that you had that is on YouTube. And we will definitely share that on, on our website too, so that our viewers, uh, our listeners can be introduced uh, uh, to you in its full form. You brought together a lot of interesting and high-ranking people uh, oh. to discuss the state of education for children of, of color in the UK. Tell us a little bit about that conference. You, you had some some pretty high-ranking names in there. Who were some of the key players for you that you needed to bring to the table? Well, it was very exciting. Very, very exciting to be able to work on this project. So, um, yeah, uh, it started with Brenda Imanis, who is a renowned BBC uh, presenter and broadcaster uh, and has worked in the art world for many, many years. She's actually worked with the BBC for over 18 years. And, um, you know, it was really wonderful. I don't know how really we made that contact with her, but um, uh, through other people uh, who I work with, um, that contact came along and I spoke to her and she immediately said yes to... um, you know, coming to speak to our young people. Um, and then uh, we have a number of councillors within our governing body. We're so blessed with this, pro- this project because the people around the table are not just mums, but they're community workers, they're um, our local government uh, councillors, representatives. And so they have connections so these as are po- well. these are politicians, these are politicians okay. or, yeah, you could say. And um, they put me in touch with David Nita. David is a, he calls himself the people's poet and the people's lawyer, um, highly um, qualified. And he does a lot of work giving back to the community, supporting those who need legal representative representation etc and he too was very impressed with the the project which is giving children a free education you know they don't pay for this uh, um um delivery wonderful and yes yeah, so he he immediately jumped in and the rest is history so once i started to get some very <laughs> well-known people 
others started to say yes. They'd be interested. They, they, on the back they wanted to be associated. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They wanted to be part of the the program where mm-hmm. other big names were also, you know, sitting. So yeah, it was really. In fact, the project itself took three weeks to sort of plan and put together. And, um, you know, you know, we, we didn't know really what we wanted to do, but we knew we wanted to um, give our response to black history. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't know whether you know, in the UK, black history is um, only recognised during the month of August. Uh, sorry, October. And um, it's almost like a tick box exercise. You know, we... we we delivered black history within our schools and the schools quickly cover the the obvious, you know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks and perhaps one other. It's, it, sounds, it sounds like it's a page from Black History Month in the United States. Oh. Really? Those are the two key figure, figures, Martin yeah. Luther yeah. King and, um, you know, so we're working on, on changing that mission, that, that approach also. Oh. And and it's really, really important. I mean, you know, I don't know whether you noticed during that event, I made a quote from Michael Holden, who's a famous cricketer. And he said that history is taught by the people who conquer, uh, not by those who are conquered. In other words, by those who commit um, the offence, not by the victims. So... You, they were able, you know, those who deliver the history, they miss out, they take pieces of the puzzle away and therefore don't give the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They only give the bits that suits them. So, you know, the history of Britain is very, very um, biased and, um, you know, it's missing so many fundamentals that involve Africa and the Caribbean and how those uh, continents have impacted and in making Britain what it is today. Uh, and, and we, when we talk about black history month, we, we just pick little bits, but we don't address key fundamental issues that will actually help our children to feel proud about who they are and what they've done to contribute to society. That's right. And there was, there, there was also um, considerable discussion on the lack of um, culturally appropriate history in UK schools. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's been a while since, you know, I was in school, but when you think about, um, Grace, and you too, yeah. when you think about what we learned in, uh, during history at primary school, mm-hmm. I remember... European history. I don't remember um, um, much discussion about any other history. World history for us was European and British history. Um, And I I heard during the discussion um, that part of what you were trying to do in opening up uh, Black history to Black children is so that they have a better understanding of their own history. And I think one of your scholars said that history of slavery is buried in the UK. And when it's discussed, and I think this is what you were saying, um, uh, Grace, um, it's from a Euro 
Afrocentric perspective. And it's usually fronted by, quote unquote, a white savior. And I thought that was very interesting. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that one for us? Uh, uh, absolutely. So first of all, you know, with, uh, slavery is taught heavily um, during uh, within the school curriculum. But the relationship that um, the Europeans had with the African continent prior to slavery is totally ignored and wiped out. Mm-hmm. The relationship that um, Britain had with black people within the continent of Europe has been wiped out, um, despite the fact that um, some of our eldest, oldest skeletals found in the soil is that of black people, uh, you know, dating back to, to the year 300. So there's a lot of things that is missing. And when you talk about, um, you know, our education in terms of the wars, World War One, World War Two, and the fact that millions of um, the, of the Commonwealth, which is India, Africa, the Caribbean, how they fought with the Europeans, the British, let's mm-hmm. say, um, that's wiped out. You know, it, despite the fact that you know millions fought alongside. You know, seventy-five thousand British, right? Millions outside Britain fought alongside. It's ignored, and only now, only slightly been addressed. But there's uh, so much within history, even as we teach history, that we've decided it's just not relevant to the story. But indeed, if, if if I do know that if 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 it was taught properly. If history was more um, honest and more inclusive, our relationship with Britain, as in what we consider to be the indigenous British, would be certainly different. They wouldn't look at black people probably in the way they do today, which is as... hmm. Yes. Please, Sandra, what were you going to say? Yes, do you know, I was going to um, add that there's um, currently an organisation called the Black Curriculum, and um, that's a, a rules it movement, it's an organisation, and their argument is that Black British history is British, so Black British history is British history. And um, I think, was it recently, they petitioned Parliament, our government here, to say that, can we have a change in the law? Can we, you know, can, can young people be taught about Black history? And they were turned down. Was it for no for no reason? But again, that's a movement that is still kind of going on, and it's it's just unfortunate that in the year twenty twenty we're still fighting to, you know, was it be taught black history from from really our perspective. And and the other thing is, you know, even as black people, we really don't understand. White people don't understand. We think yeah. our relationship with with England started with the Windrush, yeah, and that exactly. simply isn't it. Simply yeah. isn't true. Yeah. It right. simply yeah. isn't true. And yeah. yeah, so it is time to change the narrative. Yeah. It's time to be honest. It's yes. time to, you know, teach everybody, you know, yeah. history in its entirety. So what have we done, Grace? So we've set up project and i think that you know the whole emphasis is to teach was it black history in its entirety yeah and 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 sorry and to actually teach the true black history 
and we, and we've already seen the impact it's having on our, on our children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they come to lessons so eager, so keen, and they start to feel positive about their own identity. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have a better relationship with the identity of Africa and the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. You know, because and they it, see a connection. They see yes. a connection. There is a connection. Mm-hmm. We are all. Con- in fact, we are all connected. Mm. Um, and then also there becomes more of a closeness between the Caribbean and mm. Africa. Yeah. That we are one and the, and the same. We are brothers and sisters. Yeah. So yeah. it's bringing that to bringing together, bringing mm. unity and, mm. and understanding that we are all one and the same. Yeah. And this is really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. that's so, so black history then, as you say, is kind of like fundamental to, to the, the center's learning. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I look at our journeys and, you know, when I look at my own personal journey, I, I, I could easily, or my journey could easily, I mean, my, my parents are from Nigerian heritage. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're born and bred in Nigeria. I was born in the UK, but, you know, I see myself of Nigerian heritage. Mm-hmm. But when I look at my great, great, great grandfather, who was indeed a repatriated slave, mm-hmm. who was repatriated to Sierra Leone before he made his way back to the kingdom wow. of Yoruba, as it was known before it became known as Nigeria. And, you know, and hence my journey now comes down the Nigerian um, route. But we are all so closely, you know, my, my DNA is shared with so many DNAs from the Caribbean. Right? Uh, you know, and this is the thing, you know, we are so connected. We are so connected, all of us. And if we even look at uh, Great Britain and you look at some uh, so-called indigenous white people, do you realise that there's 4,000 so-called white people who have their heritage with blacks? They are descendants from a black person. Oh, they must, they must be frightened. You're scaring, you're scaring the nation. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, so we are all connected. We are all connected, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. And, um, you know, you know uh, we all share the same DNA, yeah. A- yeah. actually. So we should have more. There should be more of a reconciliation between uh, cultures and, um, you know, continents and you know we are one and the same it's just the skin color yeah we we, as soon as we start to realize that history can only bring about reconciliation um the better it will be for the world at large i I like that very much i like that point that you make there that that understanding or the the real history the true history um will can only bring about i think you're you're absolutely that's a wonderful quote to remember so, so um, okay. uh, let me let me ask you because I know during that during that event you had a lot of speakers who spoke on that issue, and who one in particular went right back into the into the beginnings and and brought in a lot of positive information about yeah. Africa um, before and unlike anything that you see in um, in the in the history books in Europe, even, even in the States here. So that was very, that was very enlightening. And I, and I suspect that you'll probably be doing 
a lot more of, of that for your students, although yes. you're focusing primarily on math and English, right? Well, the, the, the black history is underpinning. Okay. It's, it's not optional. It's compulsory. Okay. If you want to come and learn maths, you have to learn black history. If you okay. want to come and do English, you have to learn black history. It is un- underpinning. If you just want to do the pe- black history and not do the others, well, that's up to you. But the black history is compulsory. Okay. So that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the essence of it. That's the, the main yeah. piece of it. Yes. Although we provide, you know, um, the the lessons are longer in terms of time than the mm-hmm. Black History, but you've got to have a snapshot each week. You've got to learn something new because we believe that is what's going to make the young person realise or, or feel that, become more in touch with their identity, you know, and make them feel, you know, I don't know whether... You felt this, Moronke, because I know you grew up in, in the UK. Um, but certainly when I was growing up in the UK, I felt at times that the rug was pulled from under me because I never oh. really felt British, although I, I had a British passport and I was born in Britain, British accent, oh. the only oh. language I know knew was British. I never really felt truly accepted as British when I was growing up. However... You know, I never really felt Nigerian because, you know, they always treated me as a, me as a foreigner. I never really spoke the language. So for, for, for me, where I see this project really helping is that emotional um, element of finding yourself, that mm-hmm. you, you, you grow knowing who you are. You know, you, are, you stand strong in your, your identity as black and British, that those two... Is, that is fact. And I want my young people to not feel unsure of who they are because it's, like, it's, it's a bit like feeling like an, like an orphan. Yeah. You, know, you, you don't really know where you stand. You don't know, yeah. you know, you know, where your allegiance is. You don't know, you know. Who you, you are. Who, yeah, you don't who, know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And so knowing who you are gives you a safer place to... Uh-uh platform from you know it makes you realize that you have a right to contribute to society you 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 are a member of society and you should own it and claim it and feel free to aspire to be part of it and grow within it and contribute within it so and yeah that's what this is all about you know i was gonna say go ahead yeah, I was going to say that um, I think Grace and I were from, you know, was if you like different kind of cultural backgrounds. Grace's background is Nigerian. My background is, um, was it Jamaican? My parents came over shortly, um, was it after the Windrush, um, you know, the big boat that kind of came mm-hmm. from the Carib- Carib- was it Caribbean to the um, was it UK. But I think it's funny because I think Grace and I, we've just got very similar experiences. And um, I don't know, but I think to me, there's you know almost like a black British identity and, um, you know, again, it's like the Jamaicans, I don't feel accepted by the Jamaicans because, you know, they're like, well, you're English or they say you're English, you know, and you're born <laughs> here anyway. So it's, you know, it's, it's just different. But I think exactly what Grace um, is saying is so, is so, so true. And I think that by teaching the black history that we're showing to them, and I, and I didn't have it growing up, but we're showing to the young um, black children that we teach is that, you know, they, they do belong here. And I think it also gives them a greater identity. And I think also they are seen. And I think so many times kind of growing up in this kind of country, we had things like, um, you know, the far right, 
party called the National Front, maybe similar to the Ku Klux Klan. And, um, you know, they wanted to eliminate us type of thing anyway. But um, I just think that that was really kind of scary. But I think that now there's a movement to say, no, we belong here. Mm -hmm. Was it, you know, we are grown here. And um, that's, that's, you know, yeah. And I think think things are changing. Sorry, good. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's also very interesting because I think, Grace, you'd said before about the connection with the, uh, the George Floyd murder and the, that, the Black Lives Matter movement, which had, in fact, been around uh, a little uh, longer. It had been around for, for a good two, two years, but never really gained traction until May with George Floyd. Uh, but what was very interesting about what, you, what you're saying is I remember watching uh, one of the coverage uh, during um, the, the, one of the, the major protests. And I saw this um, young black girl that they were interviewing, that was being interviewed, and she was crying. And they said, what does this movement mean to you? And she said, um, the, for all these years, and she was, you know, she's not a kid. She was you know, probably in her, probably about 20 she said, for all these years, I've never had an identity. I don't know who I am. Oh. I don't know um, my history. I don't oh. know um, my heritage. All I know is that I'm this black woman. And, and I need to know. I need to know who I am. And I tell you, um, oh. and, and you're right, Grace, in the sense that, you know, when, you're in, when we were in Britain, we were just this black kid. We weren't oh. British. Um, I was closer to Nigerian because my parents insisted um, that I understand that I am Nigerian, um, uh, whether it's first or second, but I am Nigerian. So I had to learn to speak the, the, the language. And I remember one of my teachers telling my parents that they shouldn't speak to me in Yoruba because it's confusing me. And I remember my, my mom and dad saying, hey, well, to hell with that. That's, you know, she will learn both languages. She can do both languages. And of course, um, that, was, that was the case. But hearing this young girl crying and saying that she doesn't feel, she didn't feel like she belonged until Black Lives Matter um, helped her to find a place and helped her to be grounded and see that, that she is somebody and that she does have um, a root. She does have roots, and she does have a background, and she does have connections. And I guess that's what I'm hearing um, in terms of what what you guys are trying to do in terms of building a, a solid connection that, that that then allows you to say, okay, this is where I am, and this is what I'm um, I'm going to do. Um, so so coming from that and the Black Lives Movement. And what happened in Britain right after, which for me was absolutely fascinating, uh, a little controversial, and you can answer this if you want or not, but um, the, the British youth um, then started toppling all these monuments yes. of historic figures. And yes. I remember the one in Bristol that they threw into the river, um, and it was a monument to this slave owner. Oh. that um, the, the um, students said that they didn't want in, in their midst. Um, yeah. and, and that was fascinating because then you had all this discussion about um, monuments and what are they monuments to and do we need monuments? And I know you had that discussion in your Black History Month yeah. summit. How did you explain to your young people 
the significance of what was happening because there were a lot of black youths involved in this as well as white white you know, kids too, which was also very um, encouraging because you know we talk about them being people now being woke. How do you explain that to young people in terms of what was going on through during this Black Lives Matter thing that that is now worldwide? Well, can I just start by saying young people often do not know how to articulate their feelings and emotions. That is very important to, to be aware of. So our young people, they've gone through something and didn't realize they don't know how to explain what they're going through so it's not until you pass through a situation that you as you get older that you can say yes i experienced this and i experienced that even me as a as a child who experienced overt racism you know i was told black nigger go back black wog go back to your homeland etc etc i still struggled with that so the racism that they've experienced in this lifetime in their generation is very subtle because there's a lot of things that have hap- has happened on the back of civil rights and yes. legislation that has kind of um, prevented that overt type of racism. So they've experienced very subtle, very gentle, you know, the type of racism where they've not been allowed into sweet shops or told to wait outside or, you know, being shouted out in class when the teacher's telling the whole class to be quiet. She's looking at the, the young black boy or, you know, papers not being marked equally. So they've, they've experienced um, racism very, very differently. So when Joyd Floyd happened and the backlash with um, the uprising of the Black Lives Movement that included black, white and everybody... It kind of, a lot of talk started and they became more aware. They could Uh, now see what was happening. mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that actually started to impact on their emotional and mental well-being. uh, A lot of our young people have experienced depression, uh, have started to feel, you know, realise how much they've been marginalised. So... There's a lot that's suddenly been thrown at them. Uh, Even student, university students. I've had so many mums tell me how their boys have cried because I don't know uh, if you're aware, but in Britain, the the police stop young black men something like nine times more than they would ever stop a young white man. And yet we are are only 3% of the population. So there was all these things that they they just took it as, you know, part and parcel that they now were beginning to realise it was part of the racist structure of society. So when the statues, going back to the statues, personally, I believe there's a place for the statues. I believe the statues do need to come down because they should not be recognised as prominent figures that need a special place in our, you know, up and down our streets. But I do believe the statues have a place. Do not take them down and destroy them because you're helping to eradicate history. Mm-hmm. You you know, by having those statues somewhere in a proper, in a 
uh, an maybe a museum or something where the story can be told with consideration about why these men or women came into being, why they've been there, what was their contribution to what's happened historically. But to be more sensitive to the people who've been the victims that have suffered so much on so many levels by so many communities, so many years on such a deep level, yeah. have some empathy, have some, you know, compassion, realise, uh, uh, uh. accept that there's been an injustice and unfairness and deal with it properly. So, yes, those statues had to come down because it signified a change, a change in, um, a change in beliefs, a recognition that some people are suffering, you know, black people have suffered and it's time to do something about it. So COVID 2020 has, I believe, brought about a huge um, a light bulb moment for so many of us. You know, this is going to be a change. There's no going back. There's no going there's back. No, there's no standing still. It has to bring about change. And, and I, you know, it's very interesting that you say that because a, a guest that we had previously on our show uh, agreed with you. And she said that you can't just destroy it because you're destroying a piece of history. But yeah. they need to be in some museum Definitely. where they are put into context. Oh. This is this is what they did and how they did what they did, so oh. that you don't forget that that part of history. So it's very interesting that you that you went there because again, I think that that's an important important oh. lesson. Oh. 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 Sandra, what's what, what's your take on that? Gosh, I, I, do you know, I've, I think I've just got so many um, views on it anyway. I totally agree. Definitely, it, sh- it should be taken down, not destroyed, because I think that it's, again, part of a very biased history that they have tried to hide. Um, I think when the statues were taken down, when the marches were happening, what I really liked was that you had a lot of white middle-class was it young people from the suburbs mm-hmm. that kind of came into central London, they were marching and they again were going home and saying to their parents, okay, dad, you've got this um, big company. Why don't you employ any black people? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, your kind of companies in central London. So it got them to, you know, not only look at the parents, but also to, to, was it look at themselves as well? So it's important. It's important. The history. Definitely. Okay. And again, you know, going back to the young people, you know, uh, the change is going to come with them. <laughs> The yeah. change will come with the young people. Uh, and, and as I say to us um, middle-aged and older ones, you know, at some point... You, speak for you, yourself. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> at some point, we are going to be pushing up the daisies. Yes. Yeah. And, and the young people, you know, it can happen in our lifetime if we want it, if we want to be part of that historical moment. But if we don't, if, we've, we've, if we prevent it from happening, it will come with the next generation. Because they see the world very differently to us. And I I don't even see, I don't even know if we can hold it back. I mean, I don't think we can prevent it. I mean, it's it's happening, isn't it? Kind of like all over the world. I mean, even Nigeria. um, The the young people who, who, and we know as Nigerians, we, you know, are not the folks who go out there and demonstrate. But the young kids, they got out there, the the young ones, and they said, enough is enough. So I don't know if we can even stop it. I I think that that if we try to get in the way, 
um, I think that that's where the problem is because they'll probably run over us. Um, well, I, I think I think you know the only it's fear. Fear is the thing that's stopping the change, and it's fear. You know, there are people who are afraid of what's going to happen. They think they have a belief that oh, if you allow them to 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 bring about this change, it's they're going to be the ones to suffer. But I just want to remind them about what happened in South Africa when Nelson Mandela was freed after, I can't even, even remember, was it 27 years incarcerated? Oh when he was freed, when Nelson was free, freed, all that came about was truth and reconciliation. Yes. There was nobody was trying to take down anybody. There was no one trying to cause harm or revenge to the next person. It's about recognising something has happened. It's been terrible. It's been traumatic. A certain group has suffered. However, now that we recognise this, how do we move forward together? And I really believe that's what people want. And we saw that during the Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. with the police taking the knee. And, you know, and how emotional was that? You know, seeing that actually that white people don't want to, no, they don't want to just, they, they actually want, they want change too. Yeah. But they, they want us to move forward together. Yeah. And that's what it should be about. Uh, and that's what it is. That's exactly what it is about. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. This yeah. is, this is great. You've given us a lot of wonderful um, oh, information here. I just wanted to was it, add one thing. Um, Bob Marley, he, he, he has a famous quote, and I think this is in relation to our black history. And he says, if you know your history, then you would know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Then you wouldn't have to ask me, who the heck do I think I am? So I think that, you know, that's what we're really, um, was it pushing forward, you know, the identity of young people and getting them to, to you know, love themselves and to was it have a high self-esteem as a result. So yes. Grace? Wow. Yeah, I just think once young people are accepted into society, are supported in the same way as the white counterparts, we would have a much better world for everybody. Thank you so much. I'm hoping that you can, you will come back and give us an update in terms of the growth of um, Akute. Because I, I see this growing in, in a major way. I heard one of your students spoke at, at, the, at the Black History Month event. Yes, and yes. Uh, that's important that, that they mm-hmm. know that they have that platform and they also have the power. So I want to thank you, ladies, for coming today to talk to us, mm-hmm. to share this. And I and I love for you to come back again and give mm-hmm. us uh, an update and, and, you know, maybe even bring in uh, one of your teachers or one of your students mm-hmm. to uh, yes. to share uh, some yes. information with us. I really mm-hmm. thank you so much. Mm. Thank you thank so you. much for having us. It's been thank, such thank a you, wonderful Marinke. time spent yeah. with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you thank so you, much. That was All right. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Africa Caribbean and on our website, eyesonafricacaribbean.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.